0: We're on a mission from God. That was the Blues Brothers line in a movie that I'm embarrassed to say I've seen several times. Um, Of course, it was the edited version. Uh, But if you've seen that film, and I'm not sure that I should recommend it from the pulpit here, um, despite all their great obstacles, uh, Jake and Elwood Blues uh, achieved their mission. What was their mission? Their mission was to raise $5,000 to save the boyhood home, the Catholic boarding school where they grew up, and uh, they go on this great adventure, and uh, they have to uh, overcome all kinds of things, a bunch of rednecks that are chasing them, Nazis, a psychotic girlfriend, and of course, thousands of cops, because on the way of, to completing their mission, they broke every law known to man. And that's what we're all about at LifeSpring. No. No. I say this because with all the changes happening around here, I think we need to keep our focus on our mission. What is Life Springs' mission? It's on your program that you got handed to you this morning. It's this, that because we love God and we love people, we will do these three things. Win people to Jesus, build strong disciples, and send missional leaders. By the way, this is more than a slogan. It's what Jesus wants his church to be doing. And we don't believe, though, as our culture does, that our faith should just be a private thing. We believe that our Lord is in a life, that we are in a life-and-death situation. That our world is in a life-and-death situation. And therefore, we need a sense of urgency. Now, if the goal of the church was to be more culturally sensitive, I want to be culturally relevant. But there are things in the Bible, there are truths that are sometimes difficult to understand. But there are truths nonetheless. And if our goal of the church was to be more culturally sensitive, our mission statement might look a little something like this. That because everyone needs to be loved, we will win their approval, build their self-esteem, and send people to do good works. Sounds nice. Sounds acceptable. It's just one problem. It wasn't the mission that Jesus sent his church on. In chapter 17 of John's Gospel, if you have your Bibles, go ahead and open it to verse 13. We're continuing to look at Jesus. Uh, You've heard of the Lord's Prayer, right? Well, this is the long version. This is the longest prayer of Jesus recorded in the New Testament. And uh, we're going to be looking at verses 13 through 21. I think this is our third week looking at his prayer. And he begins in verse 13, and he says to his father, as he's praying, I am coming to you. But I say these things while I am still in the world so that they may have the full measure of my joy within them. Would you say full measure of my joy? Full. (laughs) I have given them your word and the world has hated them for they are not of the world any more than I am of the world. My prayer is not that you take them out of the world, but that you protect them from the evil one. They are not of the world, even as I am not of it. have sent me dear Lord Jesus this morning would you open your word to us by your Holy Spirit Lord we need to reclaim a sense of mission would you come and 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 help us to see individually how you have called us and what you've called us to we ask in Jesus name amen in Jesus prayer he's praying for his disciples That they would continue his mission. Verse 18 is a key verse. Jesus says, as you sent me into the world, that is, he's speaking to his father. Father, as you have sent me, I am now sending them into the world. That word sent is where we get the word mission. A missionary is a sent one. That's what it means. But it's interesting that before Jesus speaks about his mission, the mission that he's sending people on, he speaks about something a little different. He speaks about joy. He speaks about joy. And he says, I say these things while I am still in the world so that they may have the what? The full measure of my joy within them. The full measure of my joy. He's talking about mission. But before he does that, he talks about joy. A full measure he's praying for. Not just a little bit, but a whole bunch. Oodles and oodles. In fact, the way he's phrasing this, he's saying he wants to give He wants God to give his disciples joy, the kind of joy that's the difference between a bottle of water in the fridge and a raging river in the backyard. That's the kind of joy he wants for his people. And what he is saying here is that it seems that there is a relationship between joy and mission. And there is. The question is, what is it? And that's the principle we're looking at on our notes today, if you're keeping notes. And it's this, that I cannot be filled with Christ's joy Unless I'm dedicated to his mission. And so there's four things I want us to look at this morning about this relationship between mission and joy. Number one, we're going to look at just generically what is our need for a mission in general. and what is the purpose of our Christian mission? How can we be effective in the mission? Excuse me, going through puberty. And uh, you're going to have to change the recording there. (laughs) And, and the power of our mission. The power of our mission. <laughs> so our need for a mission. What is that all about? Can I have that glass of water there, sweetheart? You could deal with puberty that way. All right. What is a mission in general? Well... It's when your comfort and your position and your safety, all of those things come second only to your dedication to a particular cause. When you're on a mission, you sacrifice everything for the cause. And here's what we find is that real satisfaction and significance in life comes when you engage in a cause that is bigger than yourself. And real joy comes not in pleasing yourself, but in caring for others. And as... We're preparing this morning. I asked the question, how did Jesus prepare for his mission? How did he do that? In Hebrews 12 and verse one. And he also gives us some suggestions on how we ought to and what's necessary. Hebrews 12 and verse one. It's not on screen. I'm just going to read it. It says, therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles and let us. Run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of faith. And catch this. He did all that. It says this. For the joy set before him, that is for the joy set before Jesus, he endured the cross, scorning its shame and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Why did Jesus go to the cross? It says it was for the joy set before him. Does that mean the cross was filled with joy. No, it was filled with pain. Lots of it. Intensity of pain that we could never even imagine. But he endured the mission of going to the cross because of what his death would do for all of us. And this brought him great joy because he knew that humanity's sins could be forgiven and that we could be reconciled to God. You see, his mission was way more important to him than his comfort, than even his life. This has some implications for us, by the way, because when we think of our culture and think of ages past, generations past. In generations past, we were told that the way to find fulfillment in life is to find and be dedicated to your duty. It's about duty. But today, culturally, we're told this, that the way to find fulfillment is actually to search for and find your dream and then do everything to fulfill your dream. I mean, it sounds really good. It's good to have dreams. I'm not saying that. I'm not saying it's not. But here's the cultural thing that's difficult for us when it comes to this context. Because if the goal of your life is to find your dream and fulfill it, then only you know what's right for you. And if there's anything standing in the way of your dream, our culture says get rid of it. And by the way, we live in a land where we are guaranteed the right to life liberty, and the pursuit of what? Happiness. We're, an obs- we're a nation obsessed with the pursuit of happiness. And sadly, of the 281 million Americans pursuing happiness, only a few have ever found it. And if you're still looking for it, then maybe it's because you've believed the lie that says that to find happiness You've got to make your needs, your desires, your happiness the most important thing in your life. Because what we intuitively know is true and what the Gospels and the New Testament speak and the whole Bible in in itself says this, that you'll never find the kind of joy that Jesus speaks about unless you come to terms with this spiritual paradox, and it's this, that when you're the most significant thing in your life, That's when you feel the least significant. But when other people are the most significant thing in your life, you will feel more significant in your life. And if you want to feel significant, then join a cause just of any kind. But here's the thing. If you don't want to just feel significant, if you want to actually be significant, if you want the full measure of joy that Jesus is talking about here, then you need to what? You need to join his mission. He's calling us to something. What is he calling us to? What's the purpose of his mission? Well, as I talk about this, I think it's important that we don't get hung up on a lot of details because lots of people interpret the mission of the church differently. Uh, liberals will look at it uh, from a liberal perspective that it's to help the poor and uh, widows and to help the less fortunate, and we must do good deeds to help one another. Those are all good things. On the conservative side, people will say, well, we need to teach the truth, get people baptized, join the faith, uh, we need to a guard a theological orthodoxy to make sure that we are teaching it correctly. And the question is, which one of those is right? The answer is yeah, yes. <laughs> they are both are. Of course we're supposed to care for people. Of course we're supposed to teach the truth. So what's the purpose then of the mission? Those things that I've just mentioned might have to do with our mission, but they're not precisely what Jesus was speaking about When he was talking about mission, all good things, maybe elements, definitely elements involved in the mission. But here's what Jesus says it is. Verse 21. It's so that the world may believe that you, Father God, have sent me. That's it. That's what he's saying the mission is. And he's saying that the purpose of my mission, number two in your notes is this, to convince the world to believe in Jesus' mission. What's that? It's this, that Jesus wasn't just born, that he was sent. Do you see the difference? You and I were born. Jesus was sent by God. Jesus came from heaven, sent by God from the kingdom of heaven. And you see, this is very significant, because when you consider the religions of the world, they take a very pessimistic view of things. They say that if you follow our teachings and our practices, we can help you escape the world. And then eventually you'll get past the pain of this world and the dysfunction of this world and you'll get to go to paradise. To the secular world, the secular world tends to have an optimistic view of things. That we can somehow make this world a better place right here. If we just love one another, care for one another. If I had a hammer, I'd hammer in the morning. I'm sorry. Any people over 40 here? Kumbaya. Good things. But you understand, Christianity is so much broader. So much... You see, Christianity says to the secular world, there is something totally wrong and broken here. Christianity says that it... At all levels of life, there is something completely dysfunctional that needs to be addressed. Christianity says to the religious world that God loves the world and has not abandoned it. And that someday the king will come and he will heal and rehabilitate and renew everything. And Jesus, I believe, is saying this, that that I've been doing all of this to show not that I'm just a good man, not that I'm just a great moral teacher, not that I just care for the poor and the less fortunate, but that I am sent from the kingdom of heaven, that I am the king. That I am the complete fulfillment of all biblical prophecy. That the baby in the manger That that, that baby in the manger, God became a man. We sang about it in a song this morning. And and He broke the barrier between the real and the ideal. And He comes from a place where everything in heaven is already whole and in harmony. And that He wants that for us. We think of the cross and what that signified. that, That He came to bridge the gap between God and man, dealing with sin, guilt, and shame, which separates us from God. And that means that he's brought the kingdom of God, not through politics, not through technology, not through education, not through the marketplace, not through democracy, not through a meritocracy. But he brought the kingdom through sacrifice. That's the kind of God that we have, that he would send his one and only son, that whoever would believe in him would not perish, but have everlasting life. He gave his son as a sacrifice for you and for me. How could we say no to a God like that? What's this mean for us? What it means is that when you become a Christian, you're not just adopting a religious philosophy. You know, it's not just a a view of the world, though your view may change. But you're joining a mission. You're saying, I'm giving myself to serve Jesus' mission, that that his desires become my desires. You know, when two people get married, you know, do you take her? Yes. Do you take him? Yes. You're married. What we're doing in that moment is that we're joining two people together. In a few minutes, we're going to have a baptism. And what that is is a symbol is actually it's kind of like the marriage ceremony of the Christian life. Where we're saying that I want to be joined to Christ. That I want what he wants for my life. That I am joining the mission of Christ on earth that he has called me to. And what does he want? He wants the light of his kingdom to shine through you, that through you, that people will see Jesus, that they will get free of sin and shame, that they'll get healed, that they'll find hope that someday at the return of the king, everything will be made whole. Tears wiped away. There'll be no injustice. This is the hope. And this is our mission. This is our goal. And this isn't just happy talk. It is real. I've given my life to Jesus because he's so profoundly touched my life. I can't stay silent. Can you? But have you noticed that a lot of people have started that mission and lost sight of this goal? Maybe some of us. And have you noticed that some people just seem to be a little more mission-minded than others? My son Tyler, when he was a little guy, we used to crack up because... um, Mom would give him a letter and say, Ty, would you go put it in the mailbox, you know, 30 feet away? And all I had to do was take the letter, walk to the front door, open the front door, walk out the front door, walk to the mailbox, open the mailbox, put the letter in, close the mailbox, walk back to the house, open the door, walk back in the home. Simple. But not for Tyler. He's our creative child. And so he would take the letter and he would say, you know, this time I'm going to see if I can make it all the way to the mailbox with my eyes closed. <laughs> you know, <clears throat> oh, no, nope, nope, not that's not, not the way to go. You know, and then I'm going, to do it. I'm going to try backwards, hopping on one leg with my eyes closed, you know, and he would do all this. And then maybe he'd start picking flowers on the way to the mailbox. Thirty minutes later, he walks in. Tyler, where you've been? Been mailing the letter, mom. 30 minutes, what have you been doing? Because in 30 minutes, he could have mailed 30 letters back and forth. He could have come back and just got another one. (laughs) You know, I think the church sometimes we're a lot like that. Because eventually we might deliver a message or two, but we get very sidetracked. Start playing games. Start playing games. And if we keep our focus, imagine how many people would hear and receive the message of the gospel. So how can we be more effective? How can we be less distracted? Well, the key to effectiveness on our mission is contained in verses 14 through 17, because Jesus describes his disciples this way. He says that they are not of the world any more than I am of the world. My prayer is not that you take them out of the world, but that you protect them from the evil one. They are not of the world, even as I am not of it. Sanctify them by the truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, I have sent them into the world. Are you catching some some words here? Of, in, of, in, not of, but in the world, into the world. You see, here's the key to effectiveness. It's one word. It's balance. And that is to be in the world, but not of the world. What does that mean? Well, here's what it means to be of the world. You see, no one will believe that the kingdom of God has landed on earth. And this, unless they see that it has landed on you. And if... If just like everyone else, your joy is just as dependent on your circumstances. Just as materialistic, just as prejudiced, just as angry, just as hostile, just as alienated. Guess what? No real kingdom message gets through. But neither are we to be of the world, nor are we to to be out of the world, you know, alienated from it. You see, people who are out of the world are really... Unwilling to engage with people who don't agree with them. yeah, this fear of the world, disdain it, avoid it. That's why certain uh, religious groups will just sort of completely uh, withdraw and just live in their own little cocoon world. That's not the kind of group that the, that the Lord God himself has called to his church for us to be. He's called us to be something very different. You see, in either case, of the world or out of the world, effectiveness is reduced because either one, we're seduced by the world or we completely reject it. And Jesus is saying here that I want you to be neither of or out of the world, but I'm sending you what? He's sending us into the world. And so the question then is, how can I be totally engaged with the world and not attracted to it at the same time or seduced by it? Verse 19. Verse 19. It's his prayer that you would be truly sanctified. Which means this, that if you want to change the world, you must let God change your heart. And when that happens, you no longer live to serve your own desires, but God's. That's what those who are getting baptized are going to be saying today, that I want the Lord to come and fill me with his spirit, that I want to be a changed person from the inside out. And this isn't just a trying harder kind of thing because when we come to faith in Jesus Christ He comes and inhabits us by His Holy Spirit and gives us the ability to do exactly what He's asked us to do. So how can we be totally engaged with the world but not attracted to it? What does it look like practically? The question when you think of the world's values if you're you find yourself with a very wealthy, powerful person. How do you react? Most people react in one of two ways. I think I've reacted in both of these ways. First of all, there's the, the, uh, the reaction of being uh, to, to disdain that person. To be offended, outraged at their frivolous lifestyle. You know, you've seen the, the lottery winner. Oh, God, if you'd let me win the lottery, I wouldn't waste it on tattoos and booze. I would feed the poor. Help me win the lottery. I'll be more faithful with your money. You know, or, or you look at that person and you think, how can that rich guy spend all that money on yachts and Ferraris and when, when we could help all these people? And how could they? And, and there's this disdain. There's this sort of snide comment that comes out of us. Why? Well, because when you come in contact with someone that you feel is more superior, you get defensive. You try to feel superior. There's another way to react, and that is through admiration. The wealthy and powerful. Wow, I like being with that rich guy, that rich gal. I love the cool stuff they buy me. I love being, you know, when they pick up the check at the restaurant. I like being on their boat going fishing. And instead of being defensive, if you react that way, you begin to try to earn that person's approval. But in both instances, your self-image, your personal worth and value is based on the world's standards of power, performance, and image. But you see, when it comes to the gospel, when it comes to Christ's message... It's basically this in a nutshell, that you're a sinner, lost, full of pride, deserving of hell. And because of that, you shouldn't feel superior. But that's not all. He says, when you're in Christ, when you're in me, when you put your faith in me, God looks not at the dirt in your life, but the beauty of Christ in your life. And you don't need anyone's approval when you've got God's approval, when you know that he loves you. So on the one hand, it says, look, you're a mess and you're messed up and what you deserve is hell. But in Christ, you're not getting that. You're getting the righteousness of Christ because you come to him by faith. And he says, I'm not seeing all that stuff that you've messed up with. I am seeing Christ. And you know that he loves and accepts you because of not who you are, even not because of what you've done, but because of what Christ has done. You know what religion is? One word, do. You know what Christianity is? One word, done. Christ did it for you on the cross. Just receive it, will you? Just receive him. Say, yes, Jesus, I receive the forgiveness that you've given me. Some of us have been sitting out there like there's this gift and, and you haven't opened it or you've been looking at it and you think, yeah, well, someday. Today is the day. Make today the, the day. And if we're going to be more effective in our mission, we need to be in the world and not of the world. Truthfully, though, it's much easier to say that than it is to do it, isn't it? Staying in the world without being seduced by it feels something, sometimes like we're fighting a wildfire with a squirt gun. Let's just be honest. Because everything in our culture fights against our faith. Amen? Everything does. I know. I live here. My father and I were uh, on a trip, and um, we were driving in central Oregon. I was a kid, and uh, we came across, we saw some smoke. And there was this little fire that had started. Probably a, a camper had left their fire unattended. And this fire was probably, you know, no bigger than the size of the piano right there. And a couple of us uh, motorists, we got out and uh, we didn't have any shovels or, or water or anything. And, and, you know, or if we did, we were squirting our squirt bottles or we're trying to kick dirt on this fire, right? But it's going, it's hot summer day. It's about 95 degrees and the grass is all brown and this thing is going faster than we can keep up with it. And we're kicking stuff. And so someone's calling 911 and someone calls 911 and they call the Forest Service and the Forest Service sends a truck out. The guys with the truck, they grab the hoses and they're running over to the fire like this and they're getting their things out and they go to squirt it and nothing comes out. They're Like, hey, get the pump going. I can't, I can't get the pump going. The truck's busted. Hey, Joe, can you send another truck? Few minutes later, meanwhile the fire's burning. It's getting bigger. The tree is involved now. Right? So the next truck comes. Truck pulls up. Guys worn out with the hose. They go to squirt and they go and nothing. I'm going, You gotta be kidding me. A fire department with no water. And he goes, he goes, turn on the pump. He goes, I did. What's the problem? We don't have any water. I'm you gotta be kidding me. A third truck arrives. Seriously, this happened. They had a pump and water and a hose. And by then, just by the grace of God, the fire went out. But it was really big. We're talking probably half an acre by then, if not an acre. You see, the seduction of the world is like that. Because if we're unprepared for it, we're going to feel powerless to fight it. But God doesn't put us in this fight without power. Acts 1.8, one of my favorite verses, says this to his disciples. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. Amen. Can someone say power? power? The power of my mission. That's what we're talking about. Number four is that we're not abandoned here. We're not just walking around with a spiritual squirt gun. We have the Holy Spirit of God, the rivers of living water within us to fight this fire. But not only to fight that fire, but to to give life and health and goodness to, to, to the world that is around us. And so there's four basic parts of this power that I want to talk about. Number one is that I have the authority of God's kingdom. As a follower of Jesus Christ, I have the authority of God. You see, we can be in the world, but not of the world because God's spirit has come upon us. And it's much harder to be seduced by the power of the world when you've experienced the power of God. And now, filled with His Spirit, you carry, as a follower of Jesus Christ, the authority of the King. You are a powerful secret agent of God. Secret agent, man. And you hear the James Bond theme. And some of you might be thinking, well, you know what? I believe in Jesus, and I believe I may even have received his spirit. But I don't know if I feel any power. By the way, if that's you, you're not alone. You're in good company. I bet there's several of us here that feel that way. Because I know what you mean. I felt that way. But what you need is this. You need desperately to see your belief in Christ become a reality in your experience. How does that happen? I want to take you to Moses for just a minute. Remember the story of Moses? You know, Moses met God at the burning bush. Pretty amazing. Some of us would say, Yeah, if I had a burning bush, I'd follow God too. Would you? Because Moses didn't want to follow God, even after the burning bush, he had all kinds of excuses. But at the burning bush, Moses believed in God. But it's from the burning bush that God called Moses to deliver a difficult message to Pharaoh. And you know what? Moses experienced the power, the power of God, not at the burning bush, but when he delivered God's message. That's when he experienced the power. You see, what if Moses had said, oh, you know, God, um, you know... What you said is really interesting and all, but don't you think my faith should just be a private matter? I mean, isn't that message, you know, uh, let my people go, isn't that just going to make Pharaoh a little angry? Isn't that just kind of culturally you know, insensitive? You know, God, I think I'll just keep this to myself because I don't think Pharaoh's going to like the message much. Does it sound familiar at all? What would have happened if Moses had kept quiet? Well, the people wouldn't have been set free. You see, if you trust Jesus as your Lord and Savior, you have already been set free. And he's given you the keys to unlock the chains of a world in bondage. And so how can we keep the message of the cross to ourselves? How can we just run off and play and keep the keys in our pocket? We can't. It's it's too important. The stakes are too high. And you want the power of God, then go where he sends you. Say what he wants you to say. Put yourself in a desperate situation where you can't succeed unless the power of God shows up. And when belief meets obedience, you'll say this. You'll say, I have the experience of God's reality. I've seen God do that. Moses could look back and say to Pharaoh, oh, wow, he let our people go. And he would need to remember that when he got to the Red Sea because it didn't look like things were going the right way. And he would need more faith. And then he would need to take one more step into the water and lead the people. God, when he sent him on that journey, didn't give him every step. He didn't give him a point by point plan. But he said, look, follow me. I'm leading the people and you follow me. We're going. We're going to be good. And They were. And finally, in verse 19, Jesus said this. He said, it's for them that I sanctify myself. For them, I sanctify myself. Why was Jesus so focused on the cross? Why, even though he could have avoided it, why did he set his sights Completely on the cross. Why is it that nothing kept him from going to the cross? Don't buy this lie that Jesus was a martyr for, for, the, for people. Uh-uh. He said, here I am. Kill me, basically. He delivered himself up when at every turn he healed the sick, he did miracles, he walked on water, and yet he climbed up on a cross. When he's the only person who never has deserved to be there and then also had the power of heaven to keep him from being there. But voluntarily, with your name on his heart, said, I love you this much. Why did he do that? For them, he said, for them. That's, he's speaking through the ages to you and to me. For them, for us. One thing and one thing only compared Jesus to go to the cross. It was his love for you and me. You were the object of his mission. That's why he did that. And when you understand this, you'll happily leave your comfort zone and go on a mission for God. (laughs) Not because you need to be needed, not because it's your duty to go, but you'll say, I'm going because I have the motivation of God's love. His love for me. And you see, when we get, when we understand what he has done for us, and we understand the love that he has for us, we can't, we can't stay silent. We can't not love other people. Oh, everything's going to try to keep us from it, sure. But you keep your focus on your mission. You can be into the world. He's sending you into the world. He's saying, don't be. Don't be of the world. Don't be out of the world. He says, I'm going to send you in as salt to to flavor a bland culture, and I'm going to send you as light to open their eyes so they can see. That's who we celebrate. That's our mission. You want to sign up? I'd say saddle up. Let's giddy up. Let's go for Jesus. Amen? Amen, amen. amen.